Notice, it came to pass in the third year of Hosea. Now, Hosea was the, the last king of the, the northern ten tribes. He was the son of Elah, the king of Israel. So it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Hezekiah came to the throne of Judah at the end of the kingdom of Israel. Three years after the start of his reign, the Assyrian armies laid siege to Samaria, and three years after that, the northern kingdom was conquered. The sad fate of the northern kingdom was a valuable lesson to Hezekiah. He saw firsthand what happened when the people of God rejected their God and his word and worshipped other gods. Hezekiah was one of the better kings of Judah and thus had a long and mostly blessed reign. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins in chapter 18 in the book of 2 Kings. Well, let's open our Bibles to Second Kings chapter 18. I think we're going to just get down to probably verse 16 tonight because we're going to read some other passages that I think will be a welcome uh, and certainly an encouragement as we have looked at the, the people of Israel flounder and just go through such a mess and If I had to put a title on tonight's time together, I would say, Like Father, Not Like Son. Like Father, Not Like Son. And the reason for that is because as we look at the life and the ministry and the, and the reign of Hezekiah, no doubt one of the best kings that the southern kingdom had ever had There were probably only two kings that were really in the same sentence, and that would be either Josiah or David, but uh, Hezekiah had a special place that was near and dear to the heart of God because he was simply uh, a man who loved the Lord, and he loved to obey God. And don't you love to obey God? It's not always easy to obey God, is it? In fact, obeying God sometimes will cause a... Uh, a strife between family members, a strife between a husband and a wife. Obeying God can sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, drive a wedge between people and families and even people in fellowships. Because if we're not all surrendered, we're going to have, we're going to be governed by something else, and it could be, be ourself. And um, even as Christians, we can be more concerned about our how we feel and what we want rather than the will of God and what God wants. 
And that requires obedience. It requires sacrifice, doesn't it? And that's something that we don't like to talk about today in America because um, we don't like to sacrifice anything. But in order to be a true Christian, there has to be sacrifice because a sacrifice has already been given for you. Specifically, Jesus Christ. He bore the penalty of mine and your sin. Once and for all, we'll never see hell because of his sacrifice on the cross. And all we have to do is put our faith in him. But now, even, even now as believers, Paul would exhort us and say, now crucify those members that are in your body, those, those things in life, you know, uh, lust and, and uh, malice and anger and, and hatred and uh, envy and all of these ugly things. There's a whole list of them. And he gives them to us. And so we need to be surrendered. So that means that we need to sacrifice our life. Like Paul would say, make your lives a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Notice, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable for us to do this. If Almighty God, through Jesus Christ, has paid the price for me and has died for me and has given me something that I could never earn, he ought to deserve my whole attention, my, all of my affection, all of my heart. And for me to withhold something from him and, and not give him everything. And I'm not talking about money. There, there are some churches who say, well, you've got to give all, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about everything, your life. And he, he doesn't require you to give everything in the sense of, you know, selling it or whatever. Just live your lives and enjoy it. But when, know that everything that he has is, is, it belongs to him. He gave it to us. And we're to be stewards of those things. But Hezekiah was one of those young men. And not like father, or like father, not like son. Because normally in many kingdoms and many uh, kings in history who have been really horrible kings, ungodly men, oftentimes their sons were just as ungodly because they didn't have a good role model before them. A father who is a despot, who is uh, disobedient to God and living a sinful life, um, his son or sons or daughters or kids They don't have someone to look up to. And Hezekiah was one of those young men. And a miracle of miracles because of all the the things that this young man saw as he grew up under his despot father who was Ahaz, one of Israel's worst kings, sacrificing to idols and giving his sons to the fire and and, and worship of Molech and, and just continuing to sin against God, grieving God, provoking God to anger. And then for Hezekiah, at, for 25 years, he, was, he grew up with his father. And that's the only role model, or the, the most important role model in his life. And what's interesting is there came a point, probably around 11 years old, I think it was, where he became co-regent with his father. Or co, I'm sorry, vice-regent. Vice uh, a step uh, that's just a little bit lower than a king, but he was a vice-regent to his father. And to make and, and for 14 years he did that until he ruled himself after his father died. And then he reigned for another uh, 29 years. But he didn't have a great role model. And can you imagine the strife between... God was already doing something in Hezekiah's life as he's seeing his dad make horrible decisions worship and, and do all these horrible things and what was going on and I want you to think about that as we go through this tonight is what is going through the heart what what's the the crisis of obedience 
that is going through this young man's heart as he sees his dad, now being vice-regent of the kingdom of, of Judah and seeing his dad do these things, what was going through his heart? How was God changing his heart? How was God proving to Hezekiah that what God had said in the Old Testament, in the law, was very good? And he knows that his father wasn't doing it. And I wonder, where, how, how, what was that like for him? Think of it. For 14 years, when he was vice-regent, as a young man, think of the, the disagreements they might have had. Or maybe it was one day, maybe it was late in his vice-regent uh, position, maybe he was getting to the end of that, maybe he was like his father, but all of a sudden he realizes God's word is true. And he changes completely, radically. And see, that's what Christianity does for us today. A real Christian is a radical Christian. A radical Christian was a normal Christian in the first century church. We think if we say praise the Lord that we're doing radical things, but you know what? The the first century church, they were on fire. And I pray that that would come back into us too, that God would send revival into the church in America today. And it's happening in some areas, and I pray that he he touches our lives and individually. I'm not talking about some, you know, he can do whatever he wants. He's God. But let him do it. But Hezekiah, very different from his horrible example of a father, Ahaz. How does that happen? Now, you remember last week we looked at the fall of Israel. And I say Israel because we're talking about the northern ten tribes Remember, it was um, Shalmaneser who came against and laid siege against uh, Samaria, which was the capital of the northern ten tribes, and laid siege to Samaria for three years until, um, and then at the end of those three years, either he or his son, Sargon II, finally just uh, arrested, the, took the people and, and, and brought them captive physically to Assyria and other parts in, in Syria. And we looked at that last week and how that was the end for the northern ten tribes. It was the end of Israel, end of the kingdom. They'd never learned from their idolatry. They continued. And now Judah, as we're going to see tonight and next week and the next two weeks, we're going to see they didn't learn anything from their northern sister. They should have been watching and paying attention, but instead they became infused with the same idolatry that the northern ten tribes did. And God is no respecter of persons, is he? If he's going to judge one people group, he's going to judge another. He has the right to do that. He has the right to bring that judgment or chastening, however you want to see it. It's consequences for sin. He has the right to do that to an individual. He has the right to do that to a nation. So let's look at chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Let's just read down through the 16th verse, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. Again, just um, bear in mind that now that the northern ten tribes have been taken captive, the next one on the chopping block is Jerusalem, or Judah. And the enemy has got his eyes fixed on Jerusalem. Satan has always had a desire to destroy what God has 
what God wants to accomplish. He's always wanted to destroy the, the things of God. He wants to destroy his word. He wants to try and keep it from coming to pass. But do you realize uh, you can't outfool God? You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. He is all-powerful. It's like Satan trying to play chess with God. Try as he might, in his delirium, in his pride, Satan thinks that somehow he can thwart the plan of God. And he's made a pretty good run of it for a few thousand years now, hasn't he? He's made a pretty good run of it, but God is always one step ahead of him. And it's no big deal for God. It's no big deal for him. He's not like sweating bullets. He's going, you know, it's like setting up the chessboard with Satan. And before you even move a piece, God says, checkmate. <laughs> and the devil, well, I haven't even moved upon yet. We'll move upon and you'll find out. I'm going to checkmate. It's already done. So you might as well just give up. I'm not going to give up. All right, your funeral. You can't fool God. He knows all things. And he knows the heart of this young man. Let's look at it. Notice, it came to pass in the third year of Hosea. Now, Hosea was the, the last king of the, the northern ten tribes. He was the son of Elah, the king of Israel. So it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abai, or Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, broke down in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him, notice this commendation by God in verse 5. Put a star by this. This is incredible. He trusted, meaning Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. Wow. For he had held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And so he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And then the king of Assyria carried away captive to Assyria um, and put them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And here's the reason. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. And in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah, took them, 
And then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And so Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid, and he gave it to the king of Assyria. A pretty uh, sad thing, and and yet to see this young man... um, in the very beginning, and, and actually all throughout his life, he wasn't a perfect man. Well, the other scriptures tell us that he went through a period where he was lifted up in pride, and God dealt with him. But you know what? God didn't seem to really, it didn't seem to tarnish this man's reputation too much at all, because God's commendation of him, there's no one like him who was before him or after him. And that's quite a commendation, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you like to be a king of Judah and have God make that commendation to you? See, it's, it's not about starting the race. See, we all start the race when we come to Christ, but we have to finish it, right? Paul says, I, I look forward and I, I press forward to the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, that I might win the prize, that I might win Christ, that I might win salvation, that I might be, and, and not that he has to work at it, don't get me wrong, but he, he, he will receive the Lord at the end. And so it's important for us to finish well, not just to start well, but to finish well. Now, I'd like for you at the top of this chapter to write down a few verses. Um, because 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20, so 2 Kings 18 through 20, we're going to be going over the next couple of weeks, and it speaks of the life of Hezekiah. In fact, there's more written about Hezekiah than probably any other king in Judah, or a king period, except for Solomon. And for good reason. He was an exemplary man. And now, at the darkest hour of Judah, what does God do? He raises up a star. <laughs> he raises up a man unlike Ahaz. He raised, Somehow, how did that happen? Out of this horrible man comes forth this young man who was completely diametrically opposed to everything his father ever did. How did that happen? And he raises up a star at the right time in history, preserving Judah just a little bit more. And God would even raise up Josiah later on, not too far away. He'd raise him up too, and then after that, the nation would plummet into darkness, and there'd be no hope for them. And they would be cast into captivity by the Babylonians. But write these scriptures down at the top of your page for this chapter. because So 2 Kings 18 through 20 because they'll speak about Hezekiah specifically. And then Second Chronicles, chapters 29 through 32. Second Chronicles 29 through 32. And then finally, Isaiah, chapter 36 through 39. I promise you, if you read those chapters specifically, you're going to get a big understanding of who Hezekiah was, his ministry, and everything that was coming against him, and how God prospered him at the right time, in, uh, in Israel or in Judah's history. And so um, let's go back to verse 1 again. Notice what it says. 
It came to pass in the third year of Hosea. So Hosea, we've already learned this, he reigned for 20 years. He was the king of Israel from 732 to 722 B.C. And Hezekiah, who is mentioned here, he reigned from 715 to 686 B.C., a total of 29 years. But it's also true that he was vice-regent with his father for 14 years from 729 to 715. And a total of 14 years. So you do the math. He was in power for quite a while. Quite a while. Now, a vice regent, uh, as he was, means that he reigned with his father, but in a subordinate uh, position. Um, you've heard of me use the word co-regent. And co-regent sounds just like what it is. Two kings reigning together. A good example of this would be when a king is really old, and he's, 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 got, he's on his last year or two of life, he would have his 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 firstborn son, be the king. And so the king would still be the king, but he would be um, reigning alongside of his father. And so, But uh, Hezekiah was vice-regent with Ahaz for 14 years before he finally came into his own and then reigned for another 29 years. But notice what it says in verse 2. He was 25 years old when he started. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and it tells us who his mother's name was. And again, I find this interesting from a human point of view, because Hezekiah was 25 when he began, and being vice-regent with his father. And he saw and experienced all his father had done and all of his wickedness. And there's an old adage, like father, like son, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We've all heard that, right? But it doesn't apply here. In this case, the apple didn't fall from the tree. The tree was healthy. The apple didn't need to fall. It was very healthy, attached to the vine, and that was Hezekiah. And it seemed that somehow, sometime, that Hezekiah learned, and he learned from his dad, and he made up his mind of who he was going to be, what he was going to be like. And I, you know, I, I love that because young people need to do that today. You've got to take a serious look. How am I going to be? Am I going to be like all my friends at school? Am I going to wear everything that they wear and, and go and do the same things that they do? Or am I going to be unique? I mean, we're all unique. Every one of us. There's no one that's the same. Are we going to be the same? Are we going to allow God to do something unique in you? Because listen, God only does unique things with each of us. We should never compare each other with one another. We should never do that. Because what God may be doing in your life, he's going to do something a little bit different in this life. And he's going to be using this person in a different place. And there might be even more visible fruit than what you might see in your ministry, but it doesn't mean that God loves you less. It doesn't even mean that you're being not as fruitful. We, 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 we gauge by success because we're Americans. If it's working, we want it bigger and we want it faster and we want to manufacture it and export it. That, that's, our, that's capitalism. <laughs> But that's not so in the kingdom of God. The only thing we should be exporting is the gospel. But we're not doing it for gain. We're not doing it to be seen. Notice that he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. In verse 3, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of Jehovah, according to all that his father David had done. Remember as we've gone through that there's always this comparison with David, the great shepherd of Israel. The man after God's own heart. 
the sweet psalmist of Israel. There's always a comparison with whatever king is growing up in Judah. His ministry, his reign is always compared to David. Because God gave to David the promise that through him, through his line, through his lineage would come the Messiah. That's the end of our lesson for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.